0: Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to podcast number 173. And today is part two of this new series from Warren Litzman called It's Just Jesus. Thank you for your great comments about last week and part number one. Really a wonderful series and we're letting it go long for you. We haven't had anyone say that uh, they minded it going long and A lot of you really have enjoyed the fact that we're letting it go longer than we normally do. So let's get right into it. It's just Jesus. Here's Warren.
1: Now if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11. If I was to tell you that it is my belief that most Christians, most born-again Christians, do not know who Jesus is today, you might be... Scared of me. Maybe you have a right to be scared of me. But I would say that because that's what I believe about the world I live in. I don't think anybody in our world today knows who Jesus is. I think most people know about Him. If you make a thorough study of the Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll know a whole lot about Jesus, what He does, a historical record, but you won't know Him at all. That's why if you include John's Gospel, you're in a whole different world. Because the fourth Gospel, John's Gospel, is an entirely different revelation. It's not talking so much about the historical record of Jesus as it gives us an insight into who Jesus was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that is the introduction to the whole of John's Gospel. So that literally John's Gospel becomes a bridge over into Paul's ministry. It is the only bridge that's there. We've long thought, well, the book of Acts is the bridge into the fullness of Christ. No, it had to be John's Gospel because the book of Acts is once again a historical record. And Jesus is not known there. He's not known in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's not known in the Old Testament. Nobody really knows or knew who Jesus was. And that's not a awesome thing. That's something God planned. That's something that was necessary. That nobody would come to really know who Jesus was because there was a great mystery behind the whole of the plan of God that was to be more important than people just getting to know Jesus. The way we get to know people is to be with them a little while, talk with them a little while, go into business with them or live next door to them or know them for several years. And then we end up saying, yes, I know that person. And But then when something bad happens, our first thought is, well, I don't know that person at all. I don't really know them. I heard that the other day. A couple had been married 25 years. And she scratched her head and said, I finally found out I didn't know anything about that man. Well, that's kind of life. That's the way the world is. And you can live a lifetime as a Christian and never know who Jesus was. Worse, you'll never know what the word Christ means in the word Christian. Our world has been on a great tour, so to speak, now, going about places, trying to discover the real Jesus. we got a guy who's written popular books, Lee Scrobel, who is a a reporter... uh, out of Chicago newspapers whose books caught on. And he talks about the real Jesus, the real Bible. And to to be honest with you, he hadn't the slightest idea what he's talking about. (laughs) Because you cannot by research find the real Jesus. You cannot by talking to people who knew Him know the real Jesus. And this became a great issue with... Jesus of Nazareth when He was here. You remember one day the thought came to Him, here I'm out ministering to all these people, I'm trying to do good, and I'm I'm helping them in every way I know how, and I'm trying to bring about the kingdom. (coughs) I'm doing my best to bring about the kingdom. And He says, I don't guess I'm getting any response. There's not any response coming to these people. Oh, I get a big crowd because they like to see the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear and... Uh, The dead raised, they like that. Anybody could get a crowd with that. But he said, they don't really know who I am. So what he did, he picked his number one disciple, Brother Peter. That was a mistake, Jesus. (laughs) But he picked him, knowing that probably he is the weakest. And so Jesus thought, I'm going to see if Peter knows anything about me. Does he know who I am? And so you remember the little issue where they talked for a few moments, and whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, others say this, you are, that, you are. But whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the response of Jesus was, I'm not fooled by this. I'm not fooled by you, Peter. You don't know that. That's something you got from my Father. Because only my Father knows who I am. Now, why do I make a big point of this? What is it I'm really headed at today? Because the real Jesus that lives now is not Jesus of Nazareth. He no longer exists. Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth no longer exists. There will be nothing about Jesus of Nazareth that we will ever know and hear about again. He doesn't exist. With this exceptions, there is a part of His life you have to separate from Him just being Jesus of Nazareth. And that part of His life that you have to separate is the last week of His life. That's different. For the last week of the Christ's life was different than anything else that took place in His life for three and a half years of ministry and 33 years of living. <coughs> because that last week of His life was when He introduced the depth and the great mystery of the Godhead. And he wraps it all up in one little verse in John 12 and 24 where he says, Except the corn of wheat, except I, the life giver, fall into the ground and die, I am alone. But if I die, I bring forth much fruit. There's the great mystery. That's why Peter didn't know who Jesus was. There was another time in Peter's experience with Jesus of Nazareth where Jesus had to really rebuke Peter because Jesus said to him, You don't understand, Peter, so get thee behind me, Satan, thy savers, not the things that be of God. He was really outspoken with Peter on that occasion. So the time actually came in John 24 where the mystery was going to be a bit uncovered. Not entirely, but it was going to be a bit uncovered. That until John 12 and 24, nobody knew who Jesus was. As Jesus of Nazareth, as Jesus in the flesh. They didn't know who He was. He came to His own, the Scripture says, and His own received Him not. You'll remember back in John 8 where he had his big argument with the Jews over the Father business. They were talking to Jesus and got irritated with Jesus because he said, God is my Father. Well, that really upset them because that, that took them out of a realm of human, humanity and ordinary understanding into a whole other realm when he said, God is my Father. He had tried to introduce that to the twelve apostles. You remember when he gave the apostles' prayer, he started it off, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They never got that. They never got that. Because that went into a depth that they couldn't understand. Is not this Mary's little boy? You remember one time he was in a meeting and his family showed up and they said, Your family is here. Oh, i got no family except my Father which is in heaven. So the great mystery was there. And all through His earthly life it was there. But the only time it ever became uncovered was when we get to the 12th chapter of John, on Palm Sunday, a week before His death, burial, and resurrection. And it is there that we begin to see the real Jesus. The real Jesus is one who must die, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, I abide alone. But if I die, I bring forth much fruit. And you've heard me talk about this before because I think that is the most colossal statement Jesus ever made. Because in that statement He says, I have not brought forth fruit and cannot bring it forth until I die. Well, you know what that means? Let's look at it outwardly. Bartimaeus was not fruit. The wild man of Gadara was not fruit. The widow of Lane's daughter, dead, raised from the dead, was not fruit. Nothing he did to him was fruit. He couldn't bring forth fruit till He died. That's kind of ironical because I was raised in a era where everybody was looking for miracles to prove God. I used to be one of those kind of preachers. And you know it never proved anything. Never proved anything. Because God has not called for Jesus to be the means by which proves there is a God. I'm supposing you can find Scriptures that you can twist and turn and back up your idea on that, but it is not anywhere in my idea that Jesus is to be used to prove that God is God. Why in the world should He who created heaven and earth, who created this vast universe who is in charge of it every morning and every night, and nothing ever gets out. If the sun in its orbit was to move a millionth or a billionth of a degree from its orbit, we would all be destroyed. He's still in charge. He's still God. And us learning and knowing God, is what our whole existence is about. But in the reality, you can live a lifetime and hear all the preaching in the world and never get to know Jesus. That's, that's my point. They didn't know Him in that day. He came to His own and His own received Him, not because they didn't understand Him. They couldn't believe what He said and he he was the only icon that could have possibly been the messiah nobody else could heal the sick and raise the dead like that even nicodemus admitted that but you see they never got to know jesus and one point i want to make is you don't get to know jesus by what he does Now, we've all been in these places. I have, I suppose, hundreds of times. We've been in a place where we say, God, you have to do this. you got to do this to be God. They'll know, they'll know who you are if you do this. They'll really believe in you if you'll do this. Have you ever been in that place? We tried to put the thing back on God saying, God, they'll know who you are if you do this. If you don't do this, they're never going to know who you are. That's the two Gospels right there. That's the two Gospels. God has to do something for Him to be God. If He doesn't do it, He isn't God. Isn't that strange? That's why Paul says in one place, they're never going to crucify Him again. He's been crucified once and for all. God did it. That's it. It's done. It's finished. No No thing to be added to it. Nothing more to take place. It's over. It's done with. Believe it. Because he knew that people would go through life again and again trying to prove that he was God. Does that ever work? Oh, I'm sure some people see a miracle and they believe, but very few did in the Lord's day. Jesus of Nazareth finally said at the end of the... 12th chapter of John, that though he performed these many miracles, still they didn't believe. They'd like to keep him around because he's a better doctor than most. But they had no intention of entering into the knowledge of who he was, why he was on earth, what he was to do. And I hope you can see as I talk this way that that's really the way it is today in our world. We'd really like to use Jesus. We'd really like for Him to prove to everybody who He is. Well, that's not the slightest thought of God. That's not even in God's thinking. Why? You don't prove to each other that you love. You love God for no reason at all other than He is who He is. That's the way love is. God is love. And all God wants is somebody to love Him. That's all He wants. Try to get that fixed in your mind. He doesn't need a new church building. He doesn't need a new group of people. He doesn't need all of Africa saved. What He needs is somebody to love Him. That's all He wants because He's personified love. He's not a personified missionary. He's not a personified pastor. He's not a personified church builder. He is personified love. God is love. You get that? That's all He wants is you to love Him. You can't live for Him if you don't love Him. He can't use you if you don't love Him. You will never be a blessing to others except on the basis of your love for God. You'll never receive God's best except on the merit of love. Love doesn't save you from your part. It's love from His part that saved you. So you return that love. Thus when Jesus says in John 12 and 24, Except I fall into the ground and die, I abide alone. But if I die, I bring forth much fruit. He has introduced into the plan of God... The most crucial part, the most crucial thing in the plan of God is that all life must come out of death. It is only in a given life that we have the fruit of many new results. Life must be given some unto death, some entirely, some as best they can, but life must be given or there can be no fruit. Keep in mind now, nobody really knew Jesus when He was on this earth. His own disciples didn't know Him. They thought that he had come to restore the kingdom. Isn't it ironical that we've got people today that are still trying to restore the kingdom? You ever run into any of these people? Good people. Born again people. Have gotten all taken up in their ignorance of knowing who Jesus is. They have perpetuated Jesus of Nazareth on the viewpoint that he's a doer. He's somebody that does great and mighty things and he's going to straighten up our world, straighten up our life, straighten up our homes. That isn't the gospel. That was the gospel. That's the gospel that belonged to Israel. But remember, Israel with that gospel rejected the Messiah. And when you hear anybody today talk about the kingdom message, remember, the kingdom message in its infancy rejected the Messiah. The kingdom message cannot exist without a Jesus that heals the sick, performs miracles, raises the dead, and does all of these awesome things. But when they had them, they didn't know who He was. I leave that point by telling you that if you had the very best that God could give you, do you think you would still be in a greater love affair with Jesus than you are now? My experience is most won't. Most won't. My experience is that the human being, when he gets something from God, starts looking for the next thing he can get from God. <clears throat> the first chapter in the book says, Do this and you'll get your miracle. The next chapter says, now you have your miracle. Let's go on another step and get a bigger miracle. So goes the world. In Matthew 11, which I asked you to turn to, I want us to read the 27th verse. All things are delivered unto me of my father what a statement that is all things you know who picked up the term all things and made it a normal statement in his writings paul where did he get it maybe he got it from jesus saying this all things are delivered unto me of my father And then Paul would say it at least 15 or 20 times, I forget the number, but he would say all things are of God. All things work together for the good. All things, all things, all things. A catch-on term. Because all things were delivered to Christ by the Father. And man knoweth the Son, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and He to whomsoever the Son will reveal Him. What a loaded verse. If Paul had said that verse, we might have gotten it a lot sooner. But I have to go way back to where Jesus is dealing with a subject And he's talking about things I don't think anybody understood what he was saying. In fact, he's reached all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah in the things he's talking about at this moment. But what he says here, that nobody is going to know the Son but the Father, and nobody knows the Father but the Son, and nobody will know the Son but whom the Son reveals Himself to. Now, where do we find gospel for that? Where do we find the message for that? Because the only other person in this book or in the history of time that knew what Jesus was talking about is the Apostle Paul. If you do not include Paul's message as the important identifying message to God's plan, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. Because that's where this identification as to who Jesus is, is to be located. And notice some of the wording in this 11th verse. No man knoweth the Son. That's pretty good. If I'd been there in those days watching Jesus on the basis of what little I know, I would say, Jesus, none of these people really know You. All they know is, I felt bad, I feel better. Boy, let's do this again. No man knew Him. If you're not careful, your life can get wrapped up in that sort of relationship with God. Like you've got to go to a huge worship service where everything is outer and you're just having a big time to get rid of your troubles. That means you don't know Him, but you can bedim the ignorance you have by emotional experiences. Much about that later. No one really knows the Father save the Son. I imagine, I perceive that behind that one little line is a whole history of God knowledge. As far as we're concerned, what is the greatest aspect of God knowledge? What is it God knows that He's let us in on. And don't come and tell me you know this Bible. I know all about the verses in the Bible. When preachers tell me that, I just look at them and say, I see stupid written all over your (laughs) mind. Stupid. Nobody knows God's knowledge, but there are little insights into it. So in that one line, when He says nobody knows the Father but me, That takes me back to a time before the world was created, before Adam and Eve, before Satan, before sin. It takes me back to a time where there was a council meeting. Now, this is my own projection of what might have happened. We had in this meeting the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in this meeting it it comes up that the one thing God wants is children of his own. He would like to have a houseful of his own birth children. That's the motivating factor behind this meeting. So the question comes up, how shall we work this out? Could there have been behind the questions that were to be dealt with there, a fact that God had other worlds? We know He had this world before ours, some other world here, because this world was void and without form. He had had some other people, Something in this world. Somebody said the world's billions of years old. I don't want to argue with them because God might have had something here before He recreated this earth to be the world we would live in. How many worlds He had before that, I don't know. But one thought comes to me. In whatever He had before, in whatever had happened to Him in His own household, <clears throat> maybe it was Lucifer who was His uh, head, uh, Angel, Maybe with angels he didn't trust. Things had happened that made him to know that he could not trust a creature he created to come to his kind of love. It is certain from what we do know, if he had worlds before, they were destroyed. It is certain we know that Lucifer failed him so Lucifer never loved him. God gave Lucifer everything he could. <clears throat> he came behind and no, no blessing. Owned it all. And, and Isaiah was called God's son of the morning. That's how he placated him. He could have been the greatest of all. But instead he thought he was great. And anybody that thinks they're great is headed to a fall. And so Lucifer <laughs> fell out of heaven and was put down on this earth. I'll ask God why He put Him on the place I was going to live later on. These are things that must have been in God's mind. A third of the angels followed Lucifer in the coup to throw God off his throne. So could these have been motivating factors behind this great mystery, the greatest mystery we have ever faced? I perceive In my own thinking, there's something to this. So God says, I want a people who love me. And everything I have had to do with thus far has failed me. Lucifer failed me. The angels have failed me. So I'm going to create some new creatures and put them on the earth in the whole hope that they'll love me. They'll fall in love with me. Love me. but I have no hope that that will happen. Because unless I put a mechanism in them to make them love me, they will never understand their need to love me. And he said, I can't do that. I can't create a creature and make them love me because that's contrary to the kind of love I am. My love is freely given to them, I want their love freely returned to Me. See, that's behind it all. That's that's the one thing behind this old thing called Christianity, called Bible, called God. The one thing He wants is for you to love Him back like He loves you. So that was the center of this discussion. Somehow it comes up. But they'll not do that. I'll have to do something to win them. So Jesus says, Father, if you need help, I'll help you. I'll be willing to go down there with these creatures you're gonna create and I'll give my life to them. I'll be I'll be their salvation. Notice, nowhere in the plan of God was it that Jesus would come down to earth and save us. Please get that in your mind. Romans 5 and 10. Nowhere in God's plan was that so. His plan was that Jesus would come down here and be our salvation. Be our salvation. See, that's different. Jesus said, I'll go down there and I'll, I'll, I'll be their salvation and I'll live in them and I'll be the return love from them to you. When Paul said, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, Christ joined to our spirit has caused perfect love to come out of us back to the Father. Well, the conversation goes on as I see it. God says, But, my son, you may do that and nobody know anything about it. They might not, they may never come to the knowledge that you in them is the return of love to me. They may never figure that out. Because we're not going to force them to. We're not going to make them love us. We're not going to make them come to understanding. So, I'm going to leave it that this is our problem. If you are in them as their salvation, and you return that love back to me as them, would they ever know that? How will they come to that knowledge? And then when we hear, From God the Holy Spirit. He speaks up and says, Father, I'm the answer. I'm going to go down there. I'm not going to be their life. I'm not going to die on the cross. I'm not going to heal the sick and raise the dead. That's what Jesus will do. But I'm going to go down there And every one of them that accept Jesus as a Savior, I want Jesus to put me in them too. And that's why Jesus said when He comes, I give you another comforter. So Jesus put me in them too. Me. I'm not going to be their life. I'm not going to take your place, Jesus. Hear this clearly now, because this is one of the greatest eras in current Christianity. Current Christianity believes that the Holy Spirit is Christ. And so the Holy Spirit said, Jesus, I'm not the Savior. I won't die on the cross. I'll not do all the miracles But this is what I will do. If you'll put me down there, I'll work in their soulish part where they're not saved. They'll be saved in spirit. You'll be their life. But I'll work in their soulish part, their mind, will, and emotions. And I'll be their teacher. And as they yield to me, and as they are filled with my presence, I'm going to show them about this new life they have in Christ. That's going to be my job. I'm going to work with them in their emotions, but not to make them feel good, but to get their emotions straightened out so it's not a me, me thing. So that they'll begin to say, Christ is my life. Christ is my all. The plan was formulated. That's what's going to happen. The Son's going to come. He's not going to give salvation. He's going to be salvation. The Holy Spirit's going to come. At the same time, it all starts on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit on that day began to teach people who they were in Christ. When Jesus introduced the day of Pentecost in John 14 and 20, remember He says, on that day, the day of Pentecost, you shall know that I'm in you and you're in Me. They all received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and you know what? The dear Holy Spirit was not able to do His job at all. In fact, that group of people, many of them never did come to that knowledge. Pentecostals they were. They never did see it. But the Holy Spirit was there to teach them that Christ was their life. Instead, they got full of the Holy Spirit and said, Great things can happen through the Holy Spirit. The world can be reached. And you know what? They were all touched by their emotions. They had a a sound as a mighty rushing wind. They had cloven tongues to fall upon them. They spoke in other tongues. They had marvelous things to happen. Three thousand saved on the day of Pentecost. That's where the church got started. And that's what the church ought to do. And who was the fellow to really explain to them what had happened? He was sitting on the back seat. What had happened? Instead of the Holy Spirit revealing Christ to them as their life, they took the Holy Spirit, and God allowed it, they took the Holy Spirit to be something in their life. I got the power. I got the gift. I have got the ability. I can perform miracles. I'm God's man for this hour. I'm God's apostle for this day. And by the way, did I make all of you apostles here yet? In the name of the Lord, you're all apostles. (laughs) I say that because somebody's always coming to me and saying, do you believe in apostles? Yep. I'll make anybody in Christ an apostle because they could easily be. You get my little story? Just a story. So the early church began without a knowledge of Christ. They had great signs and wonders and the church grew. You remember how we preachers always used to preach on that? This is the way the church ought to be. Look at that. They prayed all day long. They had great miracles. They gave all their money. And if you don't give your money, you could be an ice and Sapphire. An Ananias and Sapphire, you know. People always say to me, don't you think we ought to have the early church back again? I said, yes, if you want to be struck dead, because most of them are not going to pay their tithes properly. (laughs) No. It's not a question of being out of order. It's a question that the seed was being sown for what would be the true body of Christ. The true body of Christ is not numbers. It is not buildings. It is not preachers. It's not apostles. The body of Christ are those placed in Christ to receive their entire life. Well, you can see now what has happened, that we don't really know the real Jesus. You can't know the real Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit. He's the Revealer. He's the only one who can tell you that. That's why nobody knew who the real Christ was as Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't know Him. That's why the record is He came to His own people and they didn't receive Him. They didn't know who He was. And when He died on the cross, many of them turned against Him. Judaism turned against Him then. A few followers starting with the day of Pentecost continued on and a great number of people believed, but they didn't know who Jesus was. Just like the church today. We've got... Mighty rushing wind, cloven tongues of fire, the buildings are shaken. Buildings are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. we got a preacher in Texas, down in Houston, Texas, that's probably going to have the largest single church building we have in the United States. He just bought the city arena that seats 18,000 people. Fills it up every large day. God bless him. Doing a great work. But that doesn't mean we know Jesus. The things that Jesus does, does not give us the revelation of who He is to us. You'll never get to know the real Christ by the things that He does. And if Christ could do for every one of you everything that you need, you wouldn't be any better off. Well, sure, you'd feel better. Sure, you may not be sick anymore. But I'm going to tell you, there's something bigger than that. There's something more important than you. And the thing that's more important to you is this Christ that now lives in every one of you. He is what's important. The history of God Almighty is that nobody really knows His Son. So we're ready to take a look at the Son. Where are we going to look at Him? You and I. 2005. Where are we going to look for the Son? Are we going to look for Him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? They didn't have the slightest idea who Jesus was. Oh, they said the thing here and there. But they didn't know who He was. The book of Acts does not really reveal who Jesus was. It reveals what Christ can do to a people who trust Him. And just because we trust the Lord and get great miracles doesn't mean we know Christ. What that means is God is full of grace. And hear me on this one point. For many years I preached all of these things contrary to what I'm talking to you about now. And God blessed it. God used it. That was my knowledge, which is more ignorance than knowledge. And God used it and blessed it. I won souls. I helped people to be blessed. I helped people in life. But I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know this Christ that this book talks about. So, how did I have all those blessings? The grace of God. My, I was a law preacher too. And you know what? I had more grace than you could imagine, as ignorant as I was. But the grace of God is a difference. That's why multitudes of people have Christ in them now, don't know it, and don't even want to know it, but are still blessed. Blessed. Because God's grace is sufficient. But what's lacking? There is no keen, true love affair between them and the Christ in them. No love affair. Oh, everybody says, I love God. They sing it in songs. They pray it all the time. Lord, we love you but it's like loving an outer object. You don't know what it is. But when are we going to come to the point to where there's some kind of hunger in us to know these things? When is Jesus, just Jesus, going to be important to us? For I dare say, a good percentage of you in this building are serving God because Jesus did something for you. There was a healing. There was a business miracle. There was a time you were so despondent and discouraged. There was a time you didn't want to live. And Jesus met you. Every one of us have had those experiences. But we don't know them. Life is a revelation. What goes on in our life is a revelation of really who we are. I've counseled hundreds of people in their marriage problems. And the biggest problem in marriage is the two don't know each other and don't want to know each other. They don't know each other. The only time I ever felt like I saved a marriage was because I got them to settle down to find out something about each other. I don't mean where were you born, where did you live, what have you done, how many boyfriends have you had. Not that kind of stuff. That's stuff. But getting down to the nitty gritty of what I think, who I really am, what am I all about, why did I marry you? You're going to have to come to that point to know the Christ that's in you. We'll get to this in the next session. But you're going to have to come to a place that you're hungry to know. The book of Acts has always bothered me. It's bothered me first because I preached it as if it belonged to all of us. And it doesn't really... The book of Acts is a historical book written by Dr. Luke on what happened to Israel in her relationship to God and to Jesus Christ and her history. That's really what it's all about. So that even the early Christian churches were Judaistic Christian churches and always functions as a part of Judaism. Because Judaism in that day thought that these Pentecostals coming along or just another part of our church. It's kind of like Catholicism. What happened when the, when the uh, charismatic renewal started, the, the Catholics had the biggest blow-up of anybody. They had more people in the Catholic church that wanted to go into the uh, Pentecostalism than anything else. And that still exists today. That's the only place the charismatic renewal really continues today, is in the Catholic church. But that didn't change anybody. <laughs> They're still Catholics. And they still have all the paraphernalia and baggage that Catholics carry to get to God. But that's the way it was in the book of Acts. They still carried all the baggage of Judaism through everything that happened there. That always bothered me. Until you get to the 28th chapter, there's no real change. Because in Acts 28, 28, the Gospel now goes to the Gentiles, and finally Paul has taken a hold of the situation, and he's going to tell people who Jesus is. There are possibly two times in the book of Acts where God, in grace, offers the kingdom back to Israel. Always remember when you read the Bible that the offer of the kingdom to Israel has to do with such blessed places of Mark 16. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel every creature. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name ye shall cast out devils, heal the sick, and so forth. What is that? That's the kingdom message. Belongs, go out in the world and tell them this. If they had accepted their Messiah, that message would have flourished over this earth, and there would have been a millennium. But what happened? God still did these marvelous things in the book of Acts and nobody got the message, still did not get the message of who Jesus was. So when we get to Acts 28, the last chapter and the last verses, a statement from Paul given by Luke is very important. The gospel no longer belongs to Israel. There will be another gospel that belongs to the Gentiles. Why this sudden change? Why couldn't God hold out a little longer? There's probably in the book of Acts a good uh, 15 to 20 years. I don't know exactly how many years. But that many years uh, transpires in in, in, in the time element of that day. Why couldn't God hold out a little longer? Why couldn't He keep on offering the kingdom to Israel and hoping that this nation would turn to Christ? You see, it didn't matter how many Jews accepted Christ. That wasn't the issue. The covenant God made with Israel was that the nation must accept Christ. You understand the difference there? So don't, don't get confused in that. When God shut it off, what He did, He shut off Israel as a nation. She no longer can be accepted. Her gospel has stopped She's set aside. She will not come back into the grace of God until the millennium. So what did God do? He said, I'm going to another group of people. Why go to this other group of people? What good are they going to be? Uh, I'm going to treat them differently. They're not going to be looking for signs, wonders, and miracles. Their whole existence is not going to be based on having a great kingdom on earth and ruling and reigning over the nations of this world. In fact, I'm going to raise me up a group of people that will never be an earthly people. You can never call them earthly. Their blessings are going to be heavenly blessings. They're going to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. And they're going to await the day that I bring them up supernaturally by the rapture to live in my house. They're going to be different because this is going to be a group of people who love me. That's it. They love me. And on that point, we have our blessed tea time.
0: (laughs) Well, we'll stop right here, but we'll pick up next time right where we left off on this wonderful series called It's Just Jesus by Warren Litzman. Hey, don't forget to visit our website, christ-life.org christ-life.org read all about us read all about this in christ message and don't forget to visit the bookstore and look at some of the wonderful material warren left behind that you can have right in your own home our thanks now to robbie litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week valerie hill does our twitter account tammy laycock does the weekly podcast notes And the program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.